chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control Alt Desire, now streaming on Paramount Plus. Good morning. It is Wednesday, August 18th. You are listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Lance Glenn. We are here the middle of the week, closer and closer to the start of the 2021 season. I know my Rutgers Scarlet Knights start Thursday, September 2nd, so about two weeks away from their Thursday night game against Temple. I know I'm excited for year two in the Greg Schiano era 2.0. I hope you're excited for your favorite team's first game. There's so much to look forward to this college football season. Before we start, I wanted to remind everyone that if you like what you hear, make sure to drop us a five-star rating and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to see your comments and are so thankful for any feedback if you want us to cover a topic we haven't already, or if we haven't hit your favorite team yet as we preview all the Power 5 schools and some group of fives as well this offseason on the College Football Daily. Of course, if we have already covered your favorite team and you missed it or you want to listen back and considering we only have about three or four left, I'm sure there's a good chance we've already covered them. Don't worry. We have all the episodes for you. Just go to Spotify, search for the playlist across the country with the College Football Daily and listen as we preview your favorite program. We are almost done with previewing all the Power 5 teams. Only three or four left, as I said before. We will get them all finished by the end of the week, uh, the end of next week, I should say, I promise. But today we continue our march towards the finish line as we discuss Oregon State, our final Pac-12 team. Joining me to talk about the Beavers is Carter Baines of 24-7 Sports, beaverblitz.com. Carter, how we doing, man? Thanks so much for coming on and giving me some time today. I'm great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Just got done with football practice today. We're entering week two of fall camp at Oregon State. So uh, another good day under the sun to watch some football and uh, ready to discuss some Oregon State. And look, I know you're now a, a media member, but we talked obviously before and you're an Oregon State alum. You must be, look, I'm a Rutgers alum. I'm pumped for the start of the season. I said we start against Temple on September 2nd. You open up against Purdue. I mean, just the fact that it's college football season already. I mean, I'm excited for what's to come this year. I'm sure you are too. Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to it. I think this is a a big year for Oregon State in terms of the trajectory of the program. And there's a lot of excitement right now about kind of the the program maybe taking the next step this year. And so I I think fans in general and and me, I, I know I'm certainly excited to get things underway here on September 4th. So let's look at the Beavers. They have quite a few position battles. Jonathan Smith is entering his fourth season. They have bowl hopes. A lot to talk about with Oregon State, but I want to start with the head coach. You know, I mentioned Jonathan Smith is entering year number four. They haven't made a bowl game yet in his tenure. The Beavers did go two and five in the truncated Pac-12 season last year. What is the pulse of the fan base regarding Smith? You know, I'm sure the results so far at least haven't been what they would have liked. Year four is often a make or break year for coaches. Where do the fans sit with him right now? How much pressure is on him heading into the season? I think there's a little bit of a longer leash with coach. Smith and you might see at some of the other programs across the country. And part of that is because he is such a figure in this program. You know, he led Oregon State to the Fiesta Bowl in 2000 as the as the, the starting quarterback on that team. He comes in and, and takes over a program that was really just, I mean, it was, it was at 
really, I, I don't want to say an all-time low, but a low point over the last two decades uh, when he took over. And I, I think fans knew that it was going to be kind of a longer process to get it back on track and, and get back to the winning ways of the Mike Riley era when Oregon State was a perennial top 25 team you know, competing for bowl games every year. And so entering year four, I think the expectation is that the program does take a step forward and make it to a bowl game, ends that eight-year postseason drought. But at the end of the day, Oregon State fans have been patient. They're going to continue to be patient with Coach Smith um, because I, I think a majority of them understand that he's kind of the right guy for the job. You know, if, if anybody knows how to win in Corvallis, it's got to be the guy that was the quarterback of the most successful team in program history, right? So I, I think there's more pressure on maybe the coordinators and position coaches this year. But Coach Smith, I, th I think, still has a lot of confidence among the fan base. And you mentioned it, you know, the quarterback, Jonathan Smith, the quarterback of one of the most, if not the most successful team Oregon State has ever had. And look, looking at this team, a quarterback competition is one of, if not the biggest battle in fall camp. It seems like, at least to me, a two-man race between Colorado transfer Sam Neuer and Tristan Jebbia. Now, Jebbia was the starter for the first four games last year. They went two and two, including an upset of in-state rival Oregon before missing the last three games due to injury. What's the latest on the competition? When might Jonathan Smith name a starter? And who would you point to right now as the favorite going forward? Well, I think you're right in saying that it's a two-man two race right now between Jebbia and Neuer. I think Smith kind of wants to lock in a guy maybe entering game week. Uh, that's kind of something that that he's done over the last three years of his his tenure. There have been quarterback battles every single year, and he's typically named a starter the Monday leading into game week. So I wouldn't be surprised if we hear something maybe a little bit sooner than that. But you know, my expectation is that we find out right before game one at Purdue. If I were to pick a starting quarterback right now, I'd lean towards Sam Neuer, who comes in first year in the program. You know, he's coming off of a second team all Pac-12 season. He has winning experience, obviously not a long track record as a starter. He stepped into that starting role last year, but he and Jebbia have about the same amount of starting experience when it comes down to it. And I, I think when you look at the, the resume and you see the wins that Neuer was able to, to kind of pile up last year, led his team to a bowl game, that's got to give him at least some sort of an edge. And then just in, in terms of on-field talent as well, um, I, I've really liked Neuer's ability to complete the deep ball. And, and I think with Oregon State's stable of really talented receivers this year, you're going to have to put a quarterback out there who can get those receivers the ball downfield and, and kind of kind of get them in opportunities to make big plays. And that's kind of been a question mark on Jebbia's game ever since he came here as a transfer from Nebraska was his ability to find receivers, you know, well, well downfield, 20 plus yards downfield. So I want to switch over to the defense now. And last season, you look at the stats towards the bottom of the Pac-12 and points per game allowed towards the bottom in yards per game, bottom in rushing yards per game allowed. They didn't have many takeaways, not many sacks. And now the answer to my question, I guess you can kind of say all over, right? They need to improve all over. But where specifically, if you were, if you were to, I guess, boil it down to a couple key positions or key units, where specifically is the improvement needed on this Oregon State defense? Really, I, th I think it's the defensive line. And I think the defensive line, I, I would go as, as far as to say, that position group is the most important when it comes down to um, Oregon State's overall success. If Oregon State is going to make it to a bowl game, if they're going to keep that trajectory on an upward path, if they're going to make a leap in Pac-12 play, 
the defensive line is just going to have to step up. They've been one of the worst defenses in terms of stopping the run in the country over the last couple of years. Um, and really, that does start up front because the Beavers have a really talented linebacking core. Avery Roberts, Omar Spates led. Well, they, they were the top two tackle beaters in the Pac-12 last year. So they're going to clean up, clean up any mess that the defensive line you know, creates. But you can't rely on your all-conference linebackers to to stop runners five, six, seven yards downfield and, and get off the field with any sense of regularity. So uh, the defensive line really has to be able to contain the run, get some more pocket pressure in the passing game. And at the end of the day, they have to get off the field on third down because third down conversion rate has just been way too high for the Oregon State defense. And I know a lot of people will look at the secondary and say, oh, they've had, they've, they've had a tough time defending the pass. They don't create enough turnovers. And while that's true, I, I do think a lot of that is attributed to the defensive line just giving opposing quarterbacks all day to throw. When you can't stop the run with any consistency and you're not getting enough pocket pressure, you combine those two things, that's just a recipe for disaster for the whole defense. And I know you've been at practices. Does it look like the defensive line is improved from last year? And granted, you know, it's it's hard to tell because, yeah, there might be a scrimmage so far, one scrimmage so far, but it's still, you know, you're going against your teammates. You're not going against a, a different colored jersey. But does it look to you at all like the defensive line has improved somewhat, maybe gotten bigger, maybe gotten stronger. Is there any change that you've seen from last year to this? Right. Well, I, I definitely have seen some flashes from certain players and really it's, it's interesting. It's been kind of the younger guys, but a really huge blow for this defensive line is Isaac Hodgins, who is the, he's the most veteran player on the team with 30 career starts. He injures his foot in week one of practice. He's out for eight weeks. And that's a huge loss for the D line. That's, I mean, it's just absolutely massive because that's a guy who is a proven contributor. You know, he, he's he's a force in the run game and he's really the only true playmaker that this defensive line has produced over the last couple of years. And now you lose him for about a half of the season. Um, so you're going to have to rely on some of the younger guys to step up. And that's kind of what I've seen. Uh, Sione Lolohea is a name that comes to mind as a, as a freshman stepping in and, and making some plays in the uh, in the run game in particular. But Thomas Seo, I think, is another name to watch on this D-line. He actually moved over from the offensive line this year. Uh, he's one of the biggest bodies on the team, and he's kind of stepped into that first-team, second-team defensive tackle role. So, like I said, I, I, I have seen some flashes, but I think that injury is just going to be – it's going to be so hard to overcome, especially when Oregon State doesn't necessarily have the depth at defensive line that some of the more traditional powerhouse schools kind of have the luxury of, of having at their disposal. Yeah, and especially when you don't already have a strong defensive line and you lose what seems like your best defensive lineman, obviously that's certainly not a recipe for success. So Carter, a couple more from me. Look, Jonathan Smith has relied on the transfer portal the last few cycles. In 2020, I think they took five transfers. 2021, they took six. Do you think the philosophy of utilizing the portal in such a significant way is because the staff believes it's kind of a long-term path to success? Or is this just like, a, I guess, an all-in attempt for them to get ready-made talent into the program because they need to start producing results? You know, is it is it more of a, we're going to do this on a yearly basis? Or is it more of a, we need to get to a bowl game now, so we need ready-made players to contribute this season? It's both, actually, in, in my opinion, because I think at Oregon State, you're in such a unique position where you're competing against some recruiting powerhouses like Oregon, USC, uh, UCLA, you know, some of those big, those big really brands in college football. But recruiting to Corvallis, Oregon is really difficult, especially when you've got a team that hasn't made it to a bowl game in eight years. You've got a new a new coaching staff as of, well, going on four years now. 
it's difficult. And so recruiting through the transfer portal has been something that Jonathan Smith has made a really big commitment to not only to bring in guys that are going to fill gaps immediately, but also to bring in some younger guys who might take a year or two to develop in the playmakers. And coach Smith has, has made, he, he's made a point of it to the media when he spoke to us about, you know, this is something that we want to, we want to continue with. We're not going to abandon the junior college. We're not going to abandon prep recruits, but the transfer portal is the wave of the future. You know, this is the way college football is going. And I think Oregon state really got in on the front edge of that and really benefited from the portal in its early days, bringing in guys like, like I mentioned, Avery Roberts, who led the Pac-12 in tackles this year. The starting quarterback this year is going to be a transfer, whether it's Neuer or Jebbia. And there's playmakers up and down the roster. I mean, I could I could go on and on and list guys that are going to be on the two deep that came in from the transfer portal. So like I said, it's it's a way for them to fill gaps on the roster, but it's also a way for them to, to kind of build for the future. Carter, last one before I let you go. What are, I guess, fan expectations and your expectations for what this season will hold for Oregon State? Have you made a prediction record-wise if they'll make a bowl? And, and if you have, you know, what what are you predicting? Well, I've got them at six and six personally, and I know that that, that might be on kind of the higher end. I, I think some of, you know, the, the lines out there have them at four or five wins. And that seems to be kind of the consensus among a lot of like just general college football fans and, and experts. But I think six wins is attainable for this team, especially if they can get off to a good start in non-conference. If they win that game at Purdue, I, I think they've got a very good shot of going 3-0 and in non-conference. And then picking up three wins and in Pac-12 play is, is certainly doable, uh, especially when they've proven that they're going to compete and be in the game against everybody really in this conference. So I think the expectation among among fans is that they break the streak, get back to a bowl game for the first time since 2013. And like I said, I, I think that's fully within the realm of possibility. And there's not going to be huge, you know, turnover or chaos or anything if, if that doesn't happen. But I, I think that is kind of the expectation heading into year four of, of the Smith era. Look, it's an important season for Jonathan Smith and the Oregon State Beavers overall as they look to get back into a bowl game. Carter, thanks so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate you giving me some time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Remember that if you like what you hear, drop us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. We have some exciting things in store for this coming season, so make sure to tune in every single day as always. For Carter Baines, I am Lance Glenn. Trey will be back with you tomorrow for the next edition of the College Football Daily. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.